Welcome to Demystifying Aged Care, your insider's guide to navigating the aged care journey. Hi, Graham Mabry here, joining you again for another conversation about ageing and ageing well here on the Demystifying Aged Care podcast. You might have enjoyed the ABC series Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds, a social experiment to see what happens if you bring together some retirement village residents and some curious, fun-loving, lively four-year-olds. Series 1 saw the children come into the retirement village. On Series 2, the tables were turned and the older generation attended a preschool centre. What was striking about both scenarios was the positive physical and mental health improvements experienced by the seniors who participated in the program. The social connection and the increase in daily physical and cognitive activity delivered remarkable benefits to these ageing Australians and highlighted the importance of maintaining our self-worth and connections to people as we age. And somebody once said children and grandparents get on well because they have a common enemy. My guest today subscribes to the concepts of healthy ageing, indeed of quality ageing. It's been her life work and, and her passion. As a registered nurse, she understands the role medicine plays in healthy ageing. But through her gerontology research, Murdoch University Associate Professor of Nursing Susan Slatcher has found that a more holistic approach to care and support as we age can mean a richer and more active, indeed a more fulfilling ageing journey. Susan, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Graham. It's great to be here. As the name of the podcast suggests, we're about demystifying. So maybe we should demystify gerontology. What is that? And how did it become a specialist focus for you? Yes, so gerontology is um, it's defined as the study of physical, mental and social changes in people as they age, mm-hmm. from middle adulthood to older age. And it's very much a multidisciplinary approach to the care of older people. And practitioners and researchers in gerontology use that holistic knowledge to inform projects, uh, healthcare projects, programs and policy to enhance healthy ageing in individuals, communities and the society. Mm-hmm. So for me, gerontology, uh, was it's been used a lot in the US. It's used less often in Australia, but becoming more so. For me, gerontology denotes the specialty area of caring for older people because older people often have multiple con- health conditions. They can have limited communication, some cognitive impairment um, or cognitive decline. So the healthcare for older people is is very comprehensive, very complex. It requires comprehensive assessment and multidisciplinary planning, looking at all aspects of a person's life. So I think gerontology really brings that complexity into into play and people who work in the care of older people are highly specialised and have very specialised knowledge and mm. um, very well-developed skills. And I think gerontology really captures that. So we have, um, with my colleague, Associate Professor Caroline Vaffius at Edith Cowan University, we've just written a new textbook for nursing students around the care of older people and we specifically specifically chose the title Gerontological Nursing Mm -hmm. 
to denote that specialised area of practice. And I think as we demystify aged care and people come to understand the level of skill that is required and knowledge, uh, I think the the profile of the aged care workforce will improve and increase once people understand the high level of skill that people are using to provide expert care and support for older people as they age. I hear in your answer, and thank you for that, uh, the, obviously the, the clearly defined area of expertise and, and the fact that it is, uh, it is that. But also uh, one of the, my take-home messages out of these podcasts has been um, the sheer variety, the sheer complexity. And I know one of the cornerstones of, of Russell, the CEO of Baptist Care, is that um, the whole program has to stem from the individual. And yes. that, uh, from what you're saying, it, it is an incredibly complex area. It is. It is. And it needs to be recognised as such. Mm-hmm. We need to raise the, the profile and the understanding of the aged care workforce who are caring for older, older people. Mm. Um, and I think to enable somebody to live well, it's not just about the medications to treat a condition. It's about the whole person. And in fact, person-centred care is a term that people will be familiar with. Uh, that's now recognised as best practice in dementia care. And it's about understanding the whole person. Uh, and being able to support that person to understand their values, their needs, their preferences, to give them a life that's meaningful. And, yeah, it's it's skilled and a complex work. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. And I love it, by the way. Oh, yeah, that comes through. That comes through, Susan. But I've been looking forward to talking to you because in 2016 you won the WA Nurse of the Year and Excellence in Research Award. And you're well, – congratulations, by the way. But in your acceptance speech, uh, a sentence you, you, you uttered, the nursing role is highly skilled, but it's also human-to-human interaction. We care for people physically but we also care for them emotionally as well. And as I say, that's very dear to my heart, that whole approach. But I guess it's even, well, it's exceptionally important in care for the aged. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't cease being human beings because we get older. Um, And we are whole people, and it's really important that we um, recognise that. But we also know that emotional well-being and emotional comfort has uh, real outcomes for health as Mm. well. So being stressed affects the immune system. So it makes people more vulnerable to infection, to um, autoimmune conditions. Depression is linked to increased morbidity and mortality. And people who are feeling depressed or perhaps disengaged, feeling helpless, feeling sad, are less likely to also um, seek health care. Mm. So in many ways, emotional health is really important to physical health and to quality of life. And we have an aging population and that is a sign of success for us. But we need to ensure that people live those extra years with a quality of life. So minimise disability, avoid disease and enjoy a good quality of life and emotional well-being is important to that. The other thing is that that emotional connection is really important to the person providing the care as well. Mm-hmm. And we go into, um, and I went into nursing and I know people go into these caring professions because they want to care because they're they're drawn to that human-to-human connection. Mm -hmm. And I think when workforce becomes very pressurised and, you know, it's very task-orientated, some of that gets lost. Mm. And I think we need to remember that, and that's probably what I was thinking at the time. I mean, it's what gives me 
what I love. Yes. And when people burn out, they become disengaged, they forget about that person and quality of care diminishes. So it's really important to, to the carer and mm. the care recipient. Absolutely. In fact, mm. uh, in a conversation with Suresh Rajan, Suresh Rajan about uh, culturally and ling- linguistically diverse people, uh, he made the point that um, in two cases that he happened to mention, the older person uh, reverted as their dementia increased. They reverted to their language of origin, mm. which their children didn't speak. And in, oh. and for some of them, it was such a a, a small area of dialect. And in one case, the dialect had already died out in the area from which they came. And wow. he was sure that just hastened their end because yeah. of the isolation. Yes, you're you're obviously agreeing. Yes. Yes, yeah. I hadn't heard of, of that situation, but mm. yes, that's um, very much so. And and I just want to note on the way through that yep. you are also picking up carers need to care for themselves. Yes, they, yes. Otherwise it has impact on their patients. It, yes, it does, because we um, have actually done some work at Charles Gardner Hospital on self-care and resilience for mm. our nursing staff, because if people become burnt out, so chronic stress and workplace stress over time will lead to burnout. And one of the hallmarks of burnout is a depersonalisation. So the person who's providing the care tends to think of the care recipient as an object rather than a person. And when the care provider disengages, then quality of care diminishes because they're really not looking for the complexity, not looking for the signs that somebody is needing something extra. And the Mid-Staffordshire inquiry in the UK, Mm. that depersonalisation was at the heart of the poor quality of care that was found in that inquiry. So it's really important for our workforce to be cared for and to care for themselves as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Mm. And the, 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 I mentioned in the introduction the uh, old people's home for four-year-olds, the ABC, which is for many people maybe their one insight into mm. life for the seniors. Uh, why is it that so many seniors are isolated and lack purpose? That they only, I mean, I think there are many people in our society yes, who, yes. who are. Um, so that particular show was focused on residential aged care. Hmm. And I think there are some very good providers, but there needs to be an understanding that once somebody goes into residential aged care, it, that's a major life transition. So they, that person will be perhaps uh, less in contact with family and friends. Uh, There are also institutional policies that can be quite rigid. So Mm. who knows about the environment? So someone could be in the single room. People, as they get older, if the person has some disability or age-related pathologies, they may be less able to mobilise, to move around, to socially connect. Someone who may have some cognitive decline or some communication limitations, obviously going to find it more difficult to socially connect. Mm. So there are sort of all sorts of things going on there. Mm. Workforce, I know, um, and this came out in the recent Royal Commission, that the number of minutes of care time dedicated by staff and particularly registered nurses was very low. Mm. So, you know, staff are under pressure and don't have a lot of time to spend with residents beyond doing that, getting through their daily tasks. Mm. So that, if that's an an issue, that can contribute. Mm. Baptist Care, which produces this particular podcast, has a range of intergenerational activities. 
they include this in their aged care facilities, things like uh, mother and baby playgroups, uh, primary and high school student visits, uh, and even an old people's home for four-year-olds program in Margaret River in the southwest of Western Australia. Uh, I guess the first question, Susan, is why, why does intergenerational activity have an importance? Why does it work? Well, look, I think we as human beings have evolved for thousands of years to live in multi-generational family groups, and many societies in the world live that way. We tend to live in our nuclear families and um, can be, you know, there are many families who are isolated from the older generation and many older people for various reasons who are isolated from the other generation. So Mm. bringing them together has good outcomes for both the older people and the children. So there's been quite a bit of work around this in Canada and the US, less less so in Australia until recent years. And I think the ABC program was a really important driver Mm. in um, that. But the research, where there has been research, it has shown really good outcomes for both the older people and the children. So many older people in a, in a, in a residential care setting who, who don't have a lot of opportunity for social connection often find may find that they're not terribly physically active. So there is, there's functional decline there. Mm-hmm. You bring a bunch of joyful, exuberant four-year-olds, busy four-year-olds in, and um, that's going to uh, engage the, yeah. the residents and get them moving. So there have been where outcomes have been measured, physical function Im- improves. Because people are moving more, people mm. are work, walking more, yep. and we saw on that program people are reaching across the table. Well, with that program, just to pick that up, I, mm. I noticed that uh, people who were very immobile at the start when the uh, when the older people were going into the the, the second series, mm. uh, then they had a structured uh, activity that they led up to it, of course, but where they had to go on some sort of treasure hunt. But it, mm. it involved the older person walking with a, an active, lively four-year-old. Yes. And or, even though a couple of them needed to rest and the four-year-olds were fine with that, mm. They all made it, they, and and they would never have done that no. if they were just in their normal exactly. Day-to-day. And being physically active and increasing strength protects an older person from frailty, becoming frail, which mm. has poor outcomes, and it also reduces falls. It reduces the wow. risk of falling, which can have you know devastating impact. Yeah. But the other thing around, yes, there are physical benefits, but there's also that um, again that emotional connection, and I think a really important thing that comes through is the sense of meaning that the older person has and Mm. that sense of sharing life's experiences, sharing one's wisdom. And that's really important. We know from the theories of ageing that being able to see your life as meaningful, be able to create and nurture something that will live on Mm. is really important to how one ages and the experience of aging and having a life satisfaction. So there's there's all of that as well. Of course, you know, where where depression's been measured and it came out in that show, um, mood lifts, depression decreases, quality of life. Some studies have shown an increase in 
better spiritual health, which is also very important around mm. end of life when people are seeking to make meaning. Yeah. Uh, and spiritual health and spiritual connection uh, can help people deal with loneliness. It's a coping strategy to overcome the poor outcomes of loneliness. Mm. So, so that's really important as well. And people have more life satisfaction and a better self-esteem. So yes, there's the physical getting and moving, but there's also a lot. And I think a lot of it is around that sharing of wisdom and mm. sharing. I heard one of the gentlemen on that show talking to the young boy and the boy said, what's war? And he said, well, this, you know, war's this and this, but let's have no more of that. So the other thing is there are benefits for the children too. And I yeah. think it's um, looking forward. We need to be developing positive attitudes towards older people so we can combat ageism which is, you know, in, in yeah. all aspects of life in our yeah. society. So developing those positive attitudes in the younger generation is really important as well. Um, there have been studies, there's been quite a lot of studies actually on the outcome of what happens to children and children have, um, who engage in these programs have better vocabulary they develop their vocabulary. They tend to have better social, they learn social interaction, social mm -hmm. skills, and that can decrease antisocial behavior. So there are actually lots of really important outcomes for children as well. Yeah, it's beneficial for both. In fact, uh, one of my favorites is the Jewish Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl, and he, um, uh, in his book, The Search for Meaning, he, one of the quotes that I'm, I've kind of used extensively, and I think it applies to what you're saying here, uh, observing what was happening in the Holocaust uh, for himself and, of course, with all his family who didn't survive it. But he said, if there is a meaning, a purpose, anything can be tolerated. Yes. If there is no meaning, no purpose, even the slightest frustration becomes unbearable. And it sounds like your work's illustrating that, that the crucial thing is for that. And I think that the just in the the relationship to a younger four-year-old, hmm. it became a purpose. There's a reason yeah. to wake up. There's something to look forward to. It's yes, yes. And it's not, I think the other thing I want to highlight too is uh, you're really very strongly emphasizing what uh, Russell said in uh, the first of our second series of podcasts, this thing that every person is an individual. They don't live in our facility. We work in their home. Yes, exactly. That it's that change. That is really important. And we do have to, and I know um, Baptist Care does. The, the residential facility is that person's home. Yes. And um, that's also some of the work that we're doing around ensuring that the workforce are skilled to provide care for residents in the resident rather than sending them to hospital because mm. hospital's not a great place for older people. So ensuring that the workforce is really well skilled to be able to recognise potential deterioration and care for that person and provide end-of-life care, holistic care in quality end-of-life care because, yes, the resident is that person's home and I think that's a wonderful approach. It's a real privilege to have you with us and we're getting the benefit of your considerable knowledge and there's an area where you've worked that we haven't addressed and I, want to, I don't want to let you go before we do address it and that is nursing models of care mm -hmm. for people with dementia. Yes. Tell us about that. Okay, so I'll just give you a little bit of my background. Sure. So I actually trained in a paediatric hospital. I trained in wow. at Princess Margaret Hospital. <laughs> okay. Um, but over the years, the last sort of 15 years, I've spent working um, 
as um, a researcher at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital mm-hmm. and now Osborne Park Hospital. I also work at Fiona Stanley Hospital as well. Yep. So I was lucky enough to work with Associate Professor Chris Toy from Curtin University for a number of years and she was a leading nurse researcher in older persons healthcare. Mm. And together we built a team, a multidisciplinary team that looked at many elements of care for older people in acute care because hos- older people are key users of hospital services and they are usually someone who comes into hospital these days is usually very sick Mm. so we need we looked at many ways to improve the experience of care the quality of care and the safety of care so one of the things that we we worked with as a nurse-led research team is the understanding that a family carer is the absolute expert on a person with dementia. So dementia is a trajectory that can take a a number of years to to play out. And during that time, a person will experience declining in their cognitive abilities that may eventually lead to um, limitations in communication. So if a person with dementia who has cognitive and communication limitations comes into hospital... It's very difficult for them to express their needs, their yeah. values, their normal routines. Maybe and we impossible. Know, impossible. And we know that if we can keep that person in their normal routine and provide them with the, the drinks that they in, like to drink so they don't become dehydrated and the food that they like to eat and are able to eat so that they're well nourished and can recover, and we we keep them in their walking or mobilising the way they normally do, then they're not going to fall. So we can keep that person safer, but we can also provide quality of care. Mm. So we we did quite a bit of work trying to initiate and improve the conversations between family members of patients with dementia and the staff. It's very difficult to have some of those conversations during an acute care admission because of the the, the pace in the yeah. hospitals now. You know, it's yeah. very fast. It's very reactive. People are very sick. Systems under stress. Is, yes, it is. So what we decided or what we worked with the staff and um, is we developed a document that caregivers and family carers can, de- can complete at home and have with them and that when the person becomes ill and they have to come to hospital, then they bring this in and it provides comprehensive care about the person. What do they mm-hmm. like to eat and drink? How do they like to sleep? Do they sleep in a chair? Do they sleep in a bed? Have they fallen before? What, you know, what, are, what can we do to keep that person safe and well in our hospital? So we've done quite a bit of work around that and um, working with caregivers. When someone with dementia is admitted to hospital, they're usually very sick. Mm. And they are at risk of developing delirium. So delirium is a very acute confusional state. And so we have worked with families uh, to support families to support that person during an admission to hospital around delirium. So we won a Health Service Excellence Award for that project. It Excellent. was it was um, all in collaboration with the nursing staff. So skilling the staff, providing them with re- resources to improve dementia care. People might have heard the papers turning. It's a, it's a, a sheet called Focus on the Person. How do people get hold of it? It's available. So yeah, it's available through Alzheimer's WA. It's actually um, a PDF, so it's available electronically. Right. So it can be filled out electronically, or it can be filled out in hard copy. And the idea is the family keep it there and bring it to hospital when the person requires care. Fantastic. Unfortunately, we're out of time, Susan. But it's been a, a privilege to have your expertise, and thanks for. A, I'll just I'll just do that again because we're hearing that paper when you move it. Sorry, it's all right. 
Well, I'm afraid we're out of time, but Susan, thanks very much for your time. It's been a privilege to have access to your expertise. And that's not only it for this program, it's the end of Series 2 of Demystifying Aged Care. If you'd like information on anything you've heard today, visit the show notes where you'll find useful links to additional resources like the one we've just been chatting about. But of course, we still want to hear from you. We love your emails, your feedback, your comments, your questions, because your journey is unique and we want to be able to address your needs. So email us at podcast at baptistcare.com.au. It's all lowercase, podcast at baptistcare.com.au. And finally, if you think this has been valuable today and you'd like others to have access to us, to it, sorry, don't forget to give us a five-star review to help more people discover these resources at Demystifying Aged Care. I'm Graham Mabry. Thanks very much for your company. Goodbye and God bless.